Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. This episode is brought to you with WeTransfer and their platform we present. You can go to wetransfer.com to subscribe and we are very proud to be collaborating with them. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling homoerotic. <laughs> oh, lovely. It is lovely, isn't it? Well, it's because, you know, I'm a homo, you're mm. a homo, and uh, I'm we're both erotic. Ero- we're both erotic, like yeah. <laughs> yeah both you are erotic. erotic. You're exotic we're, and erotic, we're erotic Rob. icons. <laughs> Something tells me you're actually more erotic than me because I get a lot of um, fan mail for you, which is always about you being erotic. And, uh, oh. and, that, and that kind of moustache that you had recently in American Horror Story. And now that I'm, I'm, I'm fashioning right now my top lip. Oh, and now, yeah, it's had a return. Um, so today's guest has inspired me to feel such a way because since 1984, uh, they were the co-founder of an amazing foundation, which um, is based out of a house, actually, which I stayed um, very close to in uh, Echo Park in Los Angeles. The house itself is actually a monument now. It's a kind of historic, cultural mon- monument, and it is forever preserved, I believe, I think since about 2016. So it will always remain as such a kind of cultural, kind of significant location. And um, we are here today to talk about the most amazing artist. He's actually been described as one of the top five artists of the 20th century by numerous curators and significant kind of art historians, the one and only Tom of Finland. And um, we are here to meet Tom's biggest champions and advocates, and also somebody who has dedicated a, a big chunk of his life to preserving and archiving and restoring and protecting the legacy of the incredible Tom of Finland um, and was also his partner and muse I should say because there's numerous artworks that are even documenting his wonderful image that we are looking at right now so we would like to welcome to talk art somebody that we have wanted to talk to for years and we are so proud to have on the show the one and only Dirk, Dirk Dana. Dana. Right. Hi, Dirk. thank you very much gentlemen I appreciate the intro and that uh, a little bit of a quick summary of of how it all came to be. I'm very happy to be here. I want to introduce our creative director of the Tom of Finland Foundation. And this is Richard Villani. Hello. He's here with me. We love you, Richie. We should do Richie a little like intro yeah. as well. Rich. Richard Milani. <laughs> and I know that dear to your heart. We love you. Yeah, we've hung out many times. And actually, Russell and I were even judges for your yeah. art competition. You have like yeah, an emerging annual artist Tom of Finland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah super cool. We love doing For next year, we're starting to put together names for judges. So, so for your listening public, just so that uh, they're aware of it, is that... Uh, so every other year we do uh, an emerging artist competition and it's international worldwide and uh, it has different categories and uh, you can go to our website and see past uh, winners and, and contestants in that uh, genre. And so it really, the, the definition that we use is it's any artist who uh, wants to do uh, erotic art and has not sold erotic art uh, is uh, absolutely uh, available to enter and participate in this competition. And uh, Richard, he goes out into the world and finds high level judges such as yourselves and really gets them to uh, 
undertake a rather rather substantial task, and that is going through uh, literally, you know, hundreds of images of uh, contestants' uh, contributions and evaluating and giving them a score. And the purpose of, of the competition isn't so much uh, the winner, it's to actually nurture all of them, to actually uh, create work, put it out there into the world, and, uh, and to have uh, a sense of, of seriousness with uh, high quality judges uh, in looking at their work so that it's not just uh, uh, something that's uh, swished by the wayside. And it's really actually produced over the years some really amazing uh, nurturing, because that's really what it's about. We're nurturing them, preserving, protecting, and promoting the erotic arts. Yeah, exactly. And I, I always thought it was a really amazing thing in itself, even before the finalists have been chosen, because it becomes this kind of giant online exhibition. And in many ways, it's kind of um, giving agency and power to these artists who often are working in like cities all over the world or little towns or like it's not just the kind of metropolises you might think people are making erotic art in. It's often like quite obscure little towns and stuff. And like um, the year that we did it, the winner was Mr. Grutz, who I still follow. It's G-R-U-T-S and I still follow his work on Instagram and he's so fun like I, I just think it's really sexy really cool but he's got an incredible language doesn't of his he, own doesn't he his whole uh, sensibility of what eroticism is and to him and what's sexy to him and uh, and so this is really what it uh, what we nurture is 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 all of these beautiful expressions you know I mean, I, I think of uh, the Tom of Finland Foundation as, uh, uh, as a, a gardener. And what we garden is we nurture and water and fertilize all of these amazing, it's like an English countryside garden with all of these different uh, expressions of, uh, of beauty in all the different ways that, that, that homos actually uh, create this beauty, yeah. That's right. And then it forms part of an archive there at Tom House. Yes, we have rather a substantial archive. We actually, um, I was just having a meeting yesterday with our, uh, our archivist, uh, who is uh, definitely frustrated because we have to find more room uh, to store and to actually work in. And uh, we're, we're just out of room. And so... Uh, We've been collecting, you know, next year is going to be our 40th anniversary, <laughs> as uh, you probably have already heard. So we've been around for that length of time. So in that many years, the amount of art that has been donated to us, and since we don't buy art, uh, it has to be donated, uh, given to us either by the artist himself or herself or uh, by collectors who actually uh, give us their collections, will it to us. And, uh, and so we have this, um, really it's, it's many thousands and thousands of works that we have in our collection. And, uh, and that doesn't even include the ephemera material, which is all of the printed uh, product material, things that uh, uh, um, periodicals from the 1960s and 70s and uh, onward uh, until periodicals have become rare and a rare commodity. Uh, so we have huge uh, 
inventories of all of that. So uh, sometimes people say that we must be the largest uh, in the world, and we don't, uh, but we're definitely up there. We're, we're one of the, the really sustaining places that has uh, a huge uh, portfolio of uh, a homo and hetero, not so much hetero, but some, and, uh, and uh, uh, non-binary material that uh, is really uh, expressing sexuality. Incredible. Russell and I are both kids of the 80s. And I think when we were growing up, um, Tom of Finland provided something really exciting for both of us in our teenage years. But we kind of discovered him more through just, I don't know, like newspapers occasionally, including his work or like... Oh, maybe no, even I, dis- like I discovered it through... They, they used to be like these, these kind of postcard books that you would get in bookshops and there would be one on like Physique Pictorial. But the Tom of Finland, when I first saw that, I was so afraid of it and shocked and also excited and i think the images that tom made were kind of my first experiences of homo erotic or or man-on-man love that i saw in these drawings and it was the sort of thing that you'd pick up and then i put down as if like terrified of it but thinking about it for the rest of the week well we would have been actually in the 80s uh tom and i were actually uh we were uh producing product uh together and we were actually, we had a company called Tama Finland Company, and we uh, manufactured a pr- product and, uh, and sent it out into the world. We wholesaled it and retailed it and, uh, and mail ordered it and, uh, and sent that out into the world so that it could do exactly what it did for you, <laughs> was to uh, make you <laughs> hot in the pants and, uh, and really sort of, identifying having this this strong identification that somehow this image was connected to you personally but it's amazing to me how in such a short period of time like you know well i guess it's not that short it's probably like 40 years or so but but how tom is now so much more revered within like more elite circles such as like the art world and i know you you're now even having kind of museum shows and there's one um even i think yeah, maybe right in now. Finland at the moment and um yeah 2023 and and also you were just knighted um, for your contribution in Finland to the kind of legacy and, you know, preservation of Tom's artwork, but, but also for kind of making space for individuals to express themselves freely and to be proud of who they are and to feel seen. There's your knighthood there look. Is. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Well, also, and in, and in 2017, you were indicted into the Leather Hall of Fame, which I also think yes. might be better than the knighthood yes. in some ways. Yes. <laughs> You know, and all of that, it all ties into uh, a strategy. Uh, Some of it happens spontaneously. Sometimes what the knighting in Finland meant to me was that Finland on a very sort of uh, official level had finally arrived. I promised Tom when he was getting close to passing that I would do everything possible to keep him embedded in popular culture and to embed him in his own country of Finland, which we were just starting to do at the time of his passing. Because he had stayed quiet. Some people thought he was he was sh- ashamed and he didn't want to come out in Finland, but it wasn't that at all. What it was was that he had a younger sister who uh, was just always after him to never share who he was officially in Finland 
because she was afraid that she would lose all of her friends because she was so ashamed of him being a, a homoerotic artist. And, uh, and so finally, when he was getting closer the last two years of his life, he said, no, I've got to do it in my home country. And so that's when he, uh, he started to actually, uh, we, we got a biography going on him in Finland and we got uh, a documentary, Daddy in the Muscle Academy happening. And so both of those projects were finished uh, just before he passed. And uh, I want to tell you something very personal in that I couldn't be there at a certain time when I got, but I got him home from the hospital so he could pass in his own residence. And uh, that's a very important thing for me uh, is people taking charge of their departure. Mm. And he called me on the telephone and I was here and he, I could feel the tears in his eyes uh, through the, the way he was talking. And he said that Dirk, he says, they're talking about me on the six o'clock news. And that's all he had to say in that he had started to embed himself into his own country's culture. And so today uh, he has an exhibition happening at the uh, Kiesma, the National Gallery in Finland, in Helsinki. And it goes on through uh, October of this year. And uh, it's a one-man show, and it's all about him. And the title of that show is um, Bold Journey, which I love the, the title. I Bold think it Journey. is a very appropriate uh, title, yeah. In that he, uh, it's, you know, I'm so proud of homos who have been willing because of the passion that they carry, that they have been willing to devote pennies on the dollar, what they have had to, their work has never been valued at what it really deserved to be valued at, but they did it out of the passion, the passion to actually express who they were and the passion to actually disseminate it out, going to jail for it, all sorts of, of dangers, and they would do it because the passion and the desire to actually make sure that those ones who they were mentioning it to, sending it out to, like you, when you were 12 and you were discovering it in a, in a news store, you know, in a, a magazine store or in a gift store. Yeah. And, uh, and so that, that kind of sensitivity, because he knew that if he could reach those young boys, and it turns out it wasn't just boys, but it was all sorts of, uh, of uh, juveniles that were actually getting aroused and actually feeling identification because his message is so broad, it reaches every sector of, uh, of our society if they're open to it, you know? Well, let's mm. talk about the man himself. Let's talk about Tom of Finland and who he sure. was. So for people who are listening now, they might not know who he is or, or even come to the imagery before, but this, this is a man that grew up in Finland, obviously, with the name. And he had two parents who were teachers and he realized at a very young age that he was drawn to a certain type of man. And there's this really beautiful speech in the book where a, a quote in the book where it says, uh, these were the men Tom would draw for the rest of his life. Big, uncomplicated, physically orientated men, proud of their muscles and even prouder of their cocks. 
And these guys that we're seeing are these like uh, bikers, policemen, soldiers, sailors, cowboys, lumberjacks, real alpha male imagery that I was definitely attracted to then and now. Uh, <laughs> it's been a continuous for me. But Tom made it his life's work to draw and picture these men. Yeah, you know, um, he liked the rough and tumble type of fellow because his upbringing was so uh, sophisticated and and he uh, it was just a natural thing that he would be gravitated to a more brawny type of uh, fellow. And uh, and so he was in his drawings. But the thing that what he communicated in his drawings was uh, a sense of pride, of proudness, of freedom. You know, and I've asked I've asked dozens of people, well, what is it that you see? And it doesn't matter whether they're lesbians or, or gay men or, or, or heterosexual couples. They say the same thing. They say freedom in that what they noted, what he communicated through the works was a sense of freedom uh, of, of, of the individual and uh, not being inhibited. And, and you know, uh, uh, there's uh, a uh, contemporary uh, photographer in Paris. Uh, her name is Rochelle Laurent. And I asked her in 2008, I think it was, I said, tell me, you know, what is it that, that makes you have such a glow on your face? And she said, here's the works of a man who did not inhibit what was in his heart. And what he represents for all of us is freedom. Well, I, I couldn't do any better than that. And, that, uh, and so what he went about, and you know, interesting in that when he was in his 60s, he uh, spoke at... Uh, at CalArts uh, School of, uh, of Art here in Southern California. And it's also documented in a video called Boots, Biceps and Bulges. And I think you can see that part on uh, YouTube on a channel called Tama Finland's Men. And what he says there is he says, I was very awkward about admitting this, but now that I'm in my 60s, I can actually feel more comfortable in stating that right from the beginning, right from the very beginning, I had an intention. And the intention was to see if I could make a difference in the way that gays perceived themselves and the way that heterosexuals perceived gays. And because uh, he said it was so derogatory. And it wasn't that uh, if femininity, effeminate, was was in itself derogatory, but the way society held it at that time was so demeaning and that being a homosexual, you had nothing else that you could were allowed to identify with as being yours. And so these rough and tumble type of guys were were the heterosexual role models. And what he did is he just took them from society and he made them homosexual and very, very overtly homosexual in that they were having sex or definitely physical contact with each other. And, uh, and so he was really a radical in that way. And uh, the bunker scene in London yeah. really got that. They got that he was radical and that he was. And so 
right there in the 60s, they were seeing it and, and they thought he was cool because uh, he, was, uh, he was queer, but what he was doing was so subversive. How did you meet him, Dirk? How did you come across each other? I think very sort of innocently in that uh, I didn't grow up with him. I grew up in a very rough and tumble kind of environment. I grew up in, in the wild west of Canada. So how I met him was I was 26. I was in a bar in New York City, which um, I must say uh, I had reminiscence of it just the other night here. We had uh, an evening called Film for Fags, and we showed uh, a film called The Scroll. And this was not a manly uh, show uh, film. It was all about the transvestite hookers who uh, handled the meatpacking district of New York City back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, I was living there in 76, and I absolutely was uh, very familiar with uh, the girls because they were all part of uh, the meatpacking district uh, action that was going on because there were lots of men and lots of women, lots of transvestites. And and so it was all uh, a nighttime and it was danger. There were a lot of muggings and and uh, and things like that that were going on. So there was all of that. It was very, and, and it just got nominated uh, for. Uh, it was part of the um, Sundance Film Festival short uh, nominations, and so it got uh, some prestige there. Anyways, it was just a nice reminiscent. So I was in New York and part of the leather scene there, and uh, I went into one of the leather bars, and I saw a little poster on the wall that was advertising a bike run and a motorcycle run. And back then you had to tear off the phone number and call that number. And then they would tell you where the bike run was. They would sort of, it was still, you know, it was secretive. And uh, that's where, and I, I, I took it off the wall. I didn't do it just, you know, selfishly because there were no more tear numbers left on the on the sheet so i knew that uh, that no one else could get information on it so i took it and i rolled it up and put it up my sleeve of my motorcycle jacket and uh, the next day i happened to be being photographed by a male studio called target studios and they um and how i got that was because i won the previous week a leather contest in another bar called the Eagle's Nest. And it's the only contest that I won. Uh, and, uh, but I certainly made it my, uh, my debut uh, uh, and embedded it into New York culture in that my mentor, uh, whose name was Louis Weingarten, and he was a heavy bottom in New York. And uh, he said, Dirk, you can win this. And so uh, I, uh, he lent me some more leathers and uh, and I got up there on that stage and I was a little high with a quaalude and uh, and I just raised hell and uh, and everybody just uh, rose to the occasion and celebrated it with me. And so I won that anyways. Why that is important is because I went to Target Studios the next day after rolling that up and putting it up my sleeve. And there was another artist there whose name was Etienne, Dom or Judas. And he and I became really good friends. But that day I showed it to him. I said, do you happen to know who art, what artist this is? And he went, oh, yeah, that's Tama Finland. 
And I, he says, uh, do you like it? And I said, well, I like it, but it also sort of affected me. It, it made me, it moved me in some way that I haven't had art do before. And he said, well, I know his address if you want to write him a fan letter. And so I said, well, why not? And so I wrote him a letter and I told him what had happened to me. And sure enough, what he did is he wrote me back. And so we had a connection and, uh, and we stayed in touch. And then I left New York and came out to Los Angeles. And in 1978, he uh, accepted my invitation to let me host him. And so I physically got to meet him for the first time at the airport when you could actually go right up to the, where the people disembarked from the planes. And I, we immediately, we had not sent pictures to each other, but we zeroed in, we knew it, who each other was. And so <laughs> then I got to host him for, for uh, like five weeks while he was in uh, California, in San Francisco and LA. And what I got to do was witness. This is such an interesting word to use because religious people use it all the time. But it was true. I got to witness just standing there, silent, just listening to the kind of, of uh, thank yous that he would receive from a long line of guys that just wanted to shake his hand and thank him. And they wanted to thank him for what he had done for them. And what he had done for them is to provide them a positive role model meaning an individual who was happy in being homosexual and that they wanted, they used that in their whole development of becoming who they were today. And they wanted to thank him for that. Well, after several of those experiences, I realized and I can tell you this today, I, I couldn't articulate it earlier, but I was looking for something to, uh, to commit myself to, to, to really give my whole heart to, and I hadn't found it yet. And when I witnessed that multiple times, I realized for sure that I needed to do something for this man because he deserved it. And I was representing all of the gays who had thanked him I wanted in turn to do something to help his life and make it a better way. So I started out by actually just uh, booking him into galleries and getting galleries, gay galleries in the beginning, and then uh, getting him a gallery that would represent him in New York City, which was Feature Gallery run by Hudson. and. Uh, and then he wanted to have a mail order company to stop uh, the and publishing company to stop the pirating that was going on in America in the bookstores. Uh, and so I set up a, a publishing house for him and uh, a, a mail order company. And then he also wanted to have an archive. And so we eventually got in 84 to an archive. And, and making that official, legal, and everything here. And that's the reason why it ended up in America. It ended up in America because I was working here in America, and I was 
you know, his Finnish friends would say, why? Why did you do this in America? And he said, because someone in America was willing to help me do it. And nobody over here offered. But also in, in 1984, though, I guess I guess you couldn't imagine it would have grown into what it has done because it's become such a kind of huge thing, the foundation, like mu- much bigger than just being yes, an archive. Yes. You know, he wasn't around long enough to see all of that. He got we had re- very good fortune in that most archives that are around artists are set up, created after they're gone. And we had Tom for six years of archiving. So so that was really a blessing. And you know what? It, it has become a depository for all erotic art. But it really, it's representing all of us, all of us queer people, and certainly some uh, uh, heterosexual people who find difficulty in finding homes for their their work because the heterosexual world is is not uh, fashioned similar to uh, sexuality is an integral part of the definition of who we are. And so erotic art is a manifestation of that. It's an icon. It's 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 the kind of presentation that we can find within the realm of erotic art works that we identify with and that we can actually, you know, grab onto. And if we can't have an original, we can have a print of it. I mean, I started with just prints and and put prints on my walls because that's the only thing I could afford. And eventually I was able to get, you know, a lithograph and eventually I was able to get an original. But, you know, they're like empowerment. You know, you walk by them during the day when you're having them hung on your wall and they say yes to you. They say, yes, this is who you are. And it really helps when you go out into that world to, to, to know that you have this defining around you that empowers you. And, and so all of that has added to the, uh, the, the force that uh, is being presented in the world today. What, what was he like? Because you know, we see these images, but there's so much humor in them, as well as these highly sexualized situations. Was he a funny guy? Did, did, you, did you laugh a lot? Did you have a lot of like friends, like-minded friends? Well, you have to know Finns, first of all. And Finns are actually rather uh, self-debasing, and, but they're also quite quiet. In fact, so quiet that uh, they have no discomfort in sitting in a room with you and saying nothing. Well, North Americans are not used to that. The only equivalent <laughs> of it are, are North American indigenous people. They, uh, I grew up around them and they were fine not saying anything. But Anglo people and that are very much uh, uncomfortable with being with silence. I remember my first visit to Finland, I went there and uh, he was having a cocktail party for me. And uh, there was like maybe eight people sitting in the living room and myself, and he was in the kitchen making things. And I finally got up and I left the room and I said, when are they gonna start talking? And they and he said, the second drink, the second drink is always the key, you know? And so 
six hours later, I go into the kitchen and I go, when are they going to go home? <laughs> and so that's really the fine thing. You know, they, they're, they're slow to the beginning, but they, they'll carry it on till the early morning. Yeah. And so he was humorous about himself and yet quite quiet. He can be, he had no problem in not saying anything. And some people thought he was, uh, he was really shy, but, uh, he was very self-confident and he um before i met him he had had a stint of uh, of like a dozen years being the art director for mccann uh the advertising agency and so he handled the helsinki division there and so he was in charge of, of you know 20 people and what was getting produced and carried forth out into the world which really made me realize that he intuitively had this kind of understanding about about marketing about putting out into the world uh work that that could actually do something i mean his goal was that it would transform that that the message he didn't know if he he was just an artist in finland someone unknown and yet he was coming home from uh uh, his work day, and he would spend the evening with the assistance of his lifetime partner, Veli, who they were together for 28 years, and he would answer correspondence, and the correspondence would be people asking for catalogs. And so he would have to photographically make these little, little prints that would be about that size, and uh, they couldn't be any larger than that because then they would be opened by the uh, customs, which actually there's something very directly related to England in that, in that he paid several visits to London and really loved London. He loved the leather scene back in the 60s and he loved uh, his friends there, uh, Felix Jones being uh, one of his closest friends. And he wrote this letter to Felix and he said, Felix, I am so sorry to tell you that I cannot move to London and become Tom of London. He says, the customs are so invasive in your country that I'll end up getting caught and I'll end up going to jail. But worse than that, I'll probably have some of my customers also negatively affected by it. And I just... I just can't bear the idea of that. And so, so much so that what he would do is he would uh, burn the letters that he got from his customers and he wouldn't keep any information on them uh, once he had, he'd fulfilled their, uh, their request. And in the end, what he kept was the canceled stamps from their, uh, from their correspondence. So we have a big bag, a big bag like this, like a beach ball bag, full of cancelled stamps from all over the world. It's amazing to me how global he's always been as well. It's like this universal, because you mentioned the word religious earlier, but it is, it's really fascinating how global it is, because even before the internet, like before the way that we all travel now, you know what I mean? Way it's just before, fascinating. way before. And how it happened, and this is the thing about... Well, who we are as a people is what, what I would like to say, is that uh, if we find something very cool, we'll share it with a friend. 
and and the friend will then correspond and they share it with a friend of theirs and then it starts to become i mean it blew finland away when he in 2016 when we released part of the whole methodology of getting him embedded in finland was to come out with a postage stamp and so collectively we came up with this idea with our finnish collaboratives that we would try to see if we get the post office to do this well before they even released it, they just announced that they were going to release it. They got pre-orders from 178 different countries in the world. The volume of orders that they got surpassed anything that had ever been recorded by any post office anywhere that collaborates with each other. And it broke their website. So they learned quickly that he was very, very international. Yeah. You mentioned Tom of London just now. He don't want to be called that, but in, and he's Tom of Finland. But this was a name that initially he didn't really respond to well. He, it wasn't something that he was. Yeah. Well, it, what it was, it, what it was, is he was signing his works as Tom, and his birth name is Toko Laksonen. And the thing is, he really realized that people would have a hard time pronouncing Toko. So he started early in the late '50s signing, or even before that just signing it Tom, T-O-M. Sort of that was his alter name in English. It, it doesn't really translate that way, but that's the name that he picked. And so that was his artist name. So in 57, uh, he, he got the, the balls to send his some original drawings, because that's all you could, you, you, there was, unless you made photo, he could have made photographic reproductions, but he sent his originals to uh, Bob Miser in Los Angeles because he was receiving this little pe periodical called Physique Pictorial, AMG, Athletic Model Guild. And, uh, and sure enough, uh, what happened was that they loved the work and uh, they decided that they were going to showcase him in the next issue, which was the spring issue of 1957. And they said, well, he's from Finland so we'll call him Tom of Finland, which was not uncommon back then because there was Bruce of L.A., Lon of New York. This was something that gay culture was doing already. And so they just gave it to him and he got it. And when he received it in the mail, he was so upset because he, he really felt like, listen, I'm Tom, but I don't represent the country of Finland you know and uh, and so he thought that that's what it was and and so he had to be educated about no 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 this is like thor of, of sweden and all of the different artists that were were uh associating them from where they were from you know and so that's where the tom of london uh idea came you know he thought well you know I, it was early in the time and he loved London so much. He thought, well, wouldn't it be fantastic if I could move to London and just thrive on all the models there and the leather and uniforms and, uh, and be able to really uh, uh, enjoy the whole nightlife and everything. Because Finland was very quiet compared to that. He had to go to Berlin or he had to go to uh, Stockholm or, or London to really sort of embrace uh, that scene.
That, that, that's something that always struck me, which is that the work is like basically drawn with a pencil. Like, you know, it, it starts itself at, at a table and and he can just draw with it, such exquisite skill. You know, for me, he's up there with like Egon Schiele, like the line and like, you know, there's a kind of, there, there's very few artists that can really properly draw. But I love this idea that just a simple thing, an act of like sitting there and making a drawing can somehow reach people all over the world, but also in an activist kind of sense, you know, actually sort of make people feel like they're together do you, did you ever see him drawing because i know that he drew you a lot and and what was that like just to witness for him drawing was a very private thing and uh it was uh because i, I in fact i was rather uh shocked myself that he would say it so publicly he would say well you know if i didn't have a heart on it would end up not being a very good drawing and I thought, what is he doing? You know, here we are uh, promoting him and building up uh, his sense of of, uh, uh, of mastery. And he says something that is so uh, guttural. And yet when I sat, when I, I never, I never brought that up with him, but I sat with it for a little bit and then it all made sense. And he was talking very articulately in that, when a drawing that he was doing aroused him, what it did is it, ex it accentuated all of the senses. So his sense of, of, uh, of, of touch and, and his accuracy of being able to communicate into the paper what he was feeling was so much more at a level of mastery. And, and so he was very interconnected between his own arousal and his own uh, mastery of a piece of art. And, uh, and that could be, it didn't have to be an explicit work. It just had to be how he was feeling, how he was feeling about that particular man that he was creating. Or, uh, and sometimes he really loved it when he really, like in the 80s, he got to draw so many men who he actually knew as friends and as uh, as models that he actually shot in here in California. And you can see he was able to just really replicate that into it, into the work. Did he have and a so, favorite fetish or a favorite uniform? If you look at all the body of work now that you've got of his, is there someone like the, the, a type that appears more than any other? Definitely, he see, I mean, all right, I'm going to be very open <laughs> and, uh, if, I, if you didn't think I was already. But uh, one of the things that he said is uh, the best years of my life were the war years because I had so much sex. He said, I had sex with my fellow uh, military guys in the Finnish army uh, and then the Germans came. And they were fighting alongside of us against the Russians. And I had so much sex with them. And then even when we lost the war and we were occupied by the Russians and they were very strange looking because they were from Eastern Siberia, but they were horny just like any other guy. So I felt a sense of responsibility to service them also. And so I guess you'd call me an equal opportunist. So we never think of, but we hear about war years being that way. We hear about all of these 
uh, sexual uh, things that went on between military guys that they would never tell when they came home. And we'd only see the horrors of war, which there's plenty of. And he was never, he hated uh, all of politics. He didn't want to be involved in it. He was revolted by, by the Nazi politics, but he was absolutely turned on by men in uniform. But what he did with leather is absolutely, I think, will always be, uh, you know, and there's, there's uh, social groups called, one's called Bluff, and it's uh, breeches, leather, and, uh, men in uniform. And uh, it's, it's a replication of what he created in his whole fetish of leather uniform in that uh, he took, so what was happening in the 1950s, early, early 50s, was he was drawing his men in brown leather and also in, in woven uh, wool or, or cotton. And, uh, and then he saw the, the image of Marlon Brando in a black leather jacket. And that somehow just tweaked his brain and immediately he started transferring everything into black leather. And, uh, and, and so he started to do the uniforms in, in black leather and the motorcycle cap. He never wants to take sole ownership of the creation of the leather scene, the leather look, because it was a contribution. And he really felt it was a real interaction between him and his fans and his friends in that the knee high boots uh, usually only had one buckle on them. Well, he thought, why don't we add two, you know? And so he started to do two and then he sent that off. And then he got uh, photographs back from some of his uh, fans and they had had a pair of boots made with two buckles. And so then he said, well, let's do three, you know? And so he started to create all of these. And the, the uniform cap was a, an officer's cap and and so then somehow that got made into leather and it got transferred also to the, the regular British biker scene. In the, before they were wearing helmets, they were wearing leather caps. And, uh, and uh, the, the strap that went over the top, they put underneath the chin to hold it on when they were riding. And so who knows whether it was him imitating uh, reality, or was it art that was being uh, created in reality? So it was an interplay between the two. And, and he really felt very, um, very happy with that because that was an interchange. That was an, uh, a beautiful dialogue between him and his uh, fans. And he felt so connected, you know? And he was self-taught as, as an artist, but yeah, he was self-taught. Yeah, never went to uh, art school or anything. Yeah, right. he, I mean, also uh, music-wise, you know, he went to Sibelius School of Music, but he, as a kid, uh, they had a piano in his home and he could listen to music on the radio and, and he could play it uh, uh, on the piano, you know. Wow. And, and so he was self-taught with a pencil. When did he 
realized that the pencil was his medium of choice. And what sort of pencils were they? You're going to ask me that. And it's one of my areas of weakness. I'm going to say it was an A2, but I'm not 100% sure. But uh, he definitely made graphite his fit, his his non-diplumed, what he was mm. recognized for. But we did an exhibition. Sadly, it was closed after 10 days in London at the House of Illustration. And what that exhibition was representing was his multimedia uh, uh, as far as the number of uh, mediums that he actually uh, played with. And there was like 13. And there was there was a marker pen and there was uh, uh, Prismacolor and there was uh, collage and there was uh, graphite and pen and ink, ballpoint pen. How many drawings are there? And, and was he drawing every day? <laughs> yeah, really don't ask me that. Yeah, it's, it's an embarrassment on one side in that we should know this by now. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but what's happened is that we've been so busy out in the world and, and limited, which is something that I'd like to talk to about the, the financial ends of, of trying to run something like this. Mm-mm. But uh, uh, he did over, over 3,500 uh, wow. works on paper. And uh, so some of those are pen and inks and some of them. But then, you know, we find uh, collage work uh, that he did and where he rendered them. You know, so what he did is it was a tear sheet from a magazine. And what he did is he would he would doodle on it and 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 alter it to make it have more of an appearance of of Tom of Finland's influence. And that could be a set of guys in a trench uh, during the war. And all you see is their butts. Well, what he would do is he'd enhance those butts so they would be big bubble butts, you know. <laughs> Would he work every day? Would you see him? Yes, uh, yes. And yeah, what was his setup? Yeah. What was his studio like? Uh, very simple. And it's still here today. Drafting table. Little bit of an angle. Uh, his uh, uh, jar of different uh, instruments, pencils, and, and uh, pens, and, and brushes. And his chart. Uh, he was pastel. He, was, he loved pastel also. That was... And that was the saving grace when he, near the end, the last, the year, the last year of his life, he could really not use a pencil anymore because he was on drugs for his emphysema and uh, it, they made his hand shake. And so as a result, he went to pastels, back to pastels, which were much more forgiving and really did a, a, a few pastels were really just like one is we call it perfection and it really was he he called it that he he wanted to call it that because it really emulated what he saw as as a perfect uh portrait of uh of a male why do you think the work has kind of snowballed now the appreciation over time i know that history has obviously made it a lot easier but the work of queer artists especially was marginalized but now it's gone really mainstream and tom of finland's work seems like front and center spearheading that why do you think well, this changed so. no absolutely I mean, it is that was that was our intention 
and that was his intention. You've succeeded. Yeah, in that he really wanted, uh, he didn't want to be alone. He wanted all of his fellow uh, travelers to be able to come along with him and to really, uh, to showcase and, and to, uh, he felt and we felt as part of our definition uh, in, in the foundations is that we feel society is a better place with the presence of erotic art and homoerotic art in that uh, that we feel like uh, it, it produces a more tolerant environment, even though we can't say that that's the case right now. But in the general sphere of things and the presence of it in the world and ours uh, continuing and with the help of people like our creative director here, Richard, we've been open, you know, we've been having exhibitions and art fairs in multiple locations in different countries of the world, you know, in Berlin and London for several years. And uh, Richard came on board when we were doing the, the first exhibition in London at the House of Illustration. And, uh, and so uh, if people would only wake up, you know, Tom said, if society finds uh, the willingness to allow people to love whoever they want to love, mm -hmm. uh, then maybe I could find a little side room in the Louvre that, uh, that they could showcase me. And, uh, and so he never was undervalued within himself. He valued himself and what he was doing and as, as something that would, and, you know, he studied the masters as far as his uh, protégés that he would actually, uh, he was a protégé of Leonardo and Michelangelo and that. And uh, yeah, it's, I think that we're very special. Absolutely. I, 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 I really hold that. Uh, and I, I still use the word homo, but I really feel that uh, the queer community, if society would just wake up and realize that we're a gift, and that we're not something that is going to uh, degrade and demoralize, that we're a gift. We're all about freedom and yeah. we're about being holistic in the way and not segregating or trying to cut ourselves up into these segments that, that this is where we're sexual, this is where we're this. You know, it's an integrated being that we are. We're animals that, that are sophisticated and, and, it's really, um, we're a gift, yeah. We are. Amen. Did Tom feel proud of his work, and did he also feel like he was brave? Yes. I would say yes to both of those things, even though when you're dealing with a Finn, uh, it's, you have to sort of have the conversation, talk about it for a while, and then they finally come to terms and say yes. You know, he didn't go through self-loathing. But he went through a period of difficult self. So after the war, he wanted to integrate into gay culture. But his whole sexual experience had been in military format, which was much more manly in his format, the way it was being expressed. And so um, he tried to, to be part of the gay culture 
of uh, Helsinki right after the war, but he couldn't identify. And so he separated himself out from that. And then he ended up just going to the parks for, uh, for rough sex and then just within his world until he started to meet internationally, you know. And, uh, and then he was very proud of uh, who he was and what he was doing. And he was getting lots of validation from his peers. But it was really, he, so Finns go, well, they're just my dirty little drawings. That's him. That's, he's quoted as saying that. And that's his way of being humble and, and, not, and not really building himself up for something that could maybe not be achieved. In that he had this aspiration, but he didn't ever talk about it. He didn't want to think about it even. It was a subconscious kind of thread that kept on going through his life. But he and he wasn't the type that would go out and and be an activist. But what he did is he embedded in his work the energy and the the self confidence. I mean, I really saw that 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 I mean, my era was that uh, I was a product, even though I I it was condensed with me. You know, I I made multiple marches on Washington and and was part of the uh, activist movement in getting rights for AIDS patients and and uh, and queers and and was this whole medical. yes yeah and uh, and he actually fostered the development of all of those young guys so that they could actually rise to the occasion and do mm-hmm. that there was an organization called Queer Nation, and uh, we get phone calls every so often at the office, and they'd say, well, how does this sort of heteronormative kind of imagery that Tom did, how is that reflective of who we are now? And, and, and me wanting to wear a kilt or a skirt or, a, or a carry a purse, and so this isn't something that that is today. This happened back in the in the early 90s. And we said, you're missing the point. The point was that when he did this, he did this as a choice in that you got to choose so that you had more choices. So he was just opening the door for you to be able to use whatever was denied you then you could have. That was what it was about. We, we, we recently interviewed a muse of Lucien Freud, the very well-known painter. Um, what was it like for you in, in your own experience being a muse? To be honest with you, I wasn't just a muse for Tom. I was a muse for Etienne and, uh, and also uh, Bruce Weber and uh, Ken Hack and, uh, and multiple others. But with Tom, it was just I... I knew when you're real, well, I don't want to be uh, 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 too egocentric here, but... Oh, go on. You're hot, Dirk. You have a job. It's a job. It doesn't mean that you're paid, but you're being used for a purpose. And the purpose is that you want to be everything and anything that that artist wants you to be so that they get 
stimulated and energized to create something amazing. And then what that is can be completely different than what you would expect. So you don't have expectations. You just let those go away. And you really just let yourself be this form that emits energy and that they many times, not always, but many times artists fall in love with you in a certain way. I mean, Tom did, Etienne did, and, and what it does is it creates these, these godlike figures. And, uh, and, and that in itself, you know, I mean, you get to appreciate them, you know? Yeah, yeah, lovely. Very lovely. What a compliment. Um, when you think of the pop group, The Village People, do you think yeah. they were inspired by Tom's work? Yeah, we know. Huh? But, but, so, but you know what? Through our culture, they were, uh, they were inspired. Adam Ant, who uh, is part of our, our, our cult history, uh, there's a song that he sings uh, about this guy, and he ain't a Tom of Finland. Mm. Let's just talk about Tom House in L.A. Is this a place like Tom's like office and where the archive is and where his studio was? Is this somewhere where anybody can visit? Can you book up and have a tour, or is this a very private sort of operation? Well, of course it's private. We only let really good people in here because we can't have them taint the vibe. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's open to the public. You just have to book for a, a reservation. To uh, we do tours twice a week, and uh, and it's a wonderful place to come. And uh, yeah, and you know it's. Uh, it's 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 that icon that I talked about. It's like people come here and they walk away feeling empowered and feeling free and feeling like they belong. And and that's exactly what uh, what erotic art is meant to do, you know, is to give that sense of self, you know, and uh, and so the uh, the house we run uh so there's a house here and it's a museum it's an archive five people come here or six people come here every monday through friday to work uh, and then they they also come on saturdays some of them to give tours and uh, and we have this weekend we have a drawing class on sunday tours on saturday and then this weekend, we're having a board retreat here. So our board of directors, because uh, we have this once a year. And so we're having a retreat here on the grounds. It's quite a big property. So we can do all of this at the same time and not uh, uh, really cross paths. I always liked the idea of it being communal as well, because it was founded by four of you, including yes. Tom, who had his own room. And it was almost like this kind of brotherhood or something. It's a really sweet foundation uh, stone in a way, that, that kind of connection between the four of you, which has gone on to be this very yes. generous place. I mean, uh, Tom survived uh, until uh, 71, but uh, my other partners, uh, they all passed uh uh, from the AIDS epidemic, and so I was able to hold on to the property, and uh, and and uh, Tom and I secured it, uh, and just kept on nurturing it and developing it. And of course, I missed out 
one of the most important parts of this and is our artisan residency. And so we have three artists at one time here. And uh, for three months, they come here and, and get access to the archives, the ephemera. They get mentoring from all of us. And it's they come in from it's global that the different artists. It's 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 a really interesting experience that you become family with these people. So we have one right now from from Bangkok, one from Mexico, and one from um, Ireland. And so uh, yeah, they come here and they uh, submerge. It's really wonderful to watch them and to help them and assist them and and to provide for them and to give them access to, and there's, this is such a crossroads. So many different people come through here and they have so much contact and they, if they go out into the neighborhood or to the gay uh, community and they say they're from um, uh, Tama Finland house, it's, it's sort of like a, a beautiful green card that they get. Yeah, they get <laughs> to that. have access. People want to model for them. You know, and uh, so we have a, a an artist from Mexico who's actually uh, drawing almost every day models, uh, and he oftentimes he'll have them dress in in different kinds of of, of wardrobe from leather gear to uh, Aztec ceremonial uh, uh, outfits that are out of his uh, wardrobe that uh, he loves bringing out the the uh, the Latino and, and, and Latin uh, cultures of Mexico and Central America. And so he's having access to all sorts of uh, different ethnicities here, Asian and, and black. And uh, so it's uh, it's rich. Well, me and Rob would love to come and dress up for you at some point <laughs> at the house. Well, I'll that for sure. We're down for that. Well, we're going to get into our final questions now. This has been so good, Dirk and Richie. Thank you so much. Yeah, the first yeah. one is... If I can if, say one thing is yeah. that this is not done without its difficulties. What we really need from those who listen to this is for you to participate with us and to assist us in furthering and expanding and sustaining what we have already today, and that uh, it takes money. And, uh, and we're really on, on a very delicate edge most of the time, but particularly now in that we're expanding, and yet uh, there's, there's definitely uh, the difficulties we're having in getting contributions. Cool. And so for people to leave their legacies to us, uh, from wherever they are in the world would be absolutely remarkable and that we're doing their work for them and we're keeping and they can be part of that legacy of, of their name and, and their contribution being part of the history because we're not based, we're not an American. We're, we're like every other homosexual. We're international. Our, our, our nationality is the world. It is. It's so true. The community yeah. just goes across the globe, doesn't it? And we're all and connected. And so please yeah. join our foundation. Don't look for things. How you can look for your your money being uh, reflected is in our presence. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the ongoing presence of notoriety and, and seeing our name. Because we don't make much from, from uh, royalties and things like that. They're just an advertising vehicle to keep 
the presence and new generations discovering who is this Tom of Finland and what what does he do and what about all these other artists like Diesel you know and their their uh, their capsule collections of of different uh, artists work you know I think that's a, lo a thing a lot of people are surprised that we actually have a very rich archive outside of Tom's work and what's been great about Diesel and the community is they've worked to showcase that that there that we have a much richer archive and I think kind of going on what like. For me and everything that I do, this year in particular has been incredibly challenging because of the pushback on our community that mm -hmm. getting sponsorships from companies are right now saying no to us because I think they're nervous to where they put their money. And I think, as Dirk was saying, I think people look at Tom of Finland and think, oh, they must have plenty of money. Erotic art is kind of the last place where people put their money. When you think about how you're going to donate your money, and it, I, it's quite challenging being here as far as wanting to get things done, but having a very limited resource. And if it wasn't for places like The Standard, who offered us the space for free to do the festival, we wouldn't have been able to do a festival in London. And I think one of the things Dirk and I say, as an audience, if you don't show up, it's going to go away. As artists, if you do not participate, it is going to go away. We are the last active cultural landmark like this in the world for the queer community. And it's, sorry, I'm getting emotional. It's really hard to bring money in. I just hope your audience will understand. Go donate because it's a brilliant place. It is brilliant. Thank you, Richie. Thank you so Thank much. You. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, we we second and third and fourth that everyone listening really look up the, the foundation and the company and buy Tom's books and and really see what you can do to support it because his work is just it represents freedom and it's so important for representation and, and, and it needs to have the legacy supported so thank you so much for yes. saying that Richie yeah it's tomafinland.org and then just hit that donation button or yeah, get a the... membership okay, amazing. <laughs> thank you and look at the time we'll, we, we'll link we as well an hour you got yeah. to do quick the first one is if you could do an art end. heist you could have any work of art in the world for yourself what would it be and why but I want to make this uh, Tom of Finland uh, possible. Is there a certain image that both of you love of Tom's that he's made, a certain work that you would love for yourselves if you could have it? For me, quite honestly, is it's it's one of the images of Dirk with the, the fur collar. It's a fur collar. It was in Love and Liberation. And it was, it was actually the first time when I was with Dirk and I was kind of starting here. And it was the first time I went and looked. And when I was looking at the fur and seeing the detail of what Tom had done, like it, it almost looked 3D to me, and then there were other muses of you within that picture uh -huh. of that drawing. So for me, that's like one of my favorite. I'm also fortunate that we don't have office space, so I work in the dining room here, and the dining room has all of Tom's images. Oh, so wow. every day while I'm here working, I'm surrounded by you know Tom's work wherever I look up. What a privilege! And and you, Dirk, and is there me, a certain image? It would be the one that I first purchased when I was uh, 28 years old and uh, I put money down on it. It was for his exhibition that he came over to show and it's two men and one is a full leather man who's standing and uh, he's got his arm on a naked man who's sitting on a stump and they're both looking directly at the viewer and there's a bond between them that 
just is so strong that uh, it just uh, it's my favorite. Yeah, amazing. Well, you'll have to send us those images so we can post those oh. when we uh, okay. put the episode up. Yeah. yeah, for sure. The other question we ask every guest is, what is your favorite color? Ooh, see, black is not a color, is it? Yes, I, every color. It's every color. It, yeah, it can be. I li- I, I, every color. I'm wearing blue That's every color, today because yeah. I, I want my eyes to pop. <laughs> they do, Dirk. They're shimmering. <laughs> you need them to pop when you're yeah. in you, the Richie, what's yourself? your color? I mean, I would have to go pretty much any form of blue is definitely from a turquoise to a royal. Um, I always find blues beautiful. Same here. Same here. Well, I just want to finish on this quote for this episode then, which is, Tom set the proud love of man by man in full motion. In 2000 years, no one has produced such remarkable changes in worldviews through such a simple message. Gay equals good. And for me, I think thank that's you. an amazing way thank to finish you. this episode and to thank you guys so much. As you said, tomofinland.org to go on there and donate and sign up for membership. For everyone listening, please go to at Tomofinland Foundation and we will all be yeah. back very soon. And thank you, Richie. Thank you, Dirk. Stick Thanks around. For listening. Take care, everyone. See you guys. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talkart at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.